As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Pre-season is underway, Chris is packing his bags for a trip to the Alps, but there's no sign of George. T4's Seb Stafford Bloor is here to talk about Newcastle United's sensible transfers. No, honestly... And green lights and green and white. What's happening behind the scenes this summer? Hello, welcome back to Pod on the Tyne. And hello to you, Chris Woff. How are you doing, son? You all right? Hello, Taylor. Yes, I am fun dabby dozy, thank you. How are you? Oh, hey, I'm not bad. I'm not that good, but I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm not oh, fan dabby dozy, not quite, but uh, I'm all right. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. It's been a nice weekend. How are you doing anyway? Are you, are you are you managing through through June and into July now? It's weird being a football journalist at this time of year, isn't it? It is weird at this time of year, but it's also nice because George isn't around. So it's, you know, it's, 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 in some ways, uh, I feel like life has life has improved. I haven't got George whinging every day. You know, you know the player, the players, most of the uh, non nationals return on Wednesday, which is still. Before George returns, because you know he's just he's just adamant just that he's not going to be around. Refusing to engage with football, isn't he? Until <laughs> he is. until at least the he second is. week of July. Bless him. He's earned that right, though. You know, he's you know he's he's one of the one of the old school now, isn't he? He's just yeah. Do you know what? I'll write when I'm ready, and you can wait for me. That's basically the the Colton effect. Exactly. Our editors would say exactly the same about him as well. So yeah. <laughs> It'll be lovely to have you back, George. We can't wait to see you. Uh, we're looking forward to having your uh, smiling face and sunny disposition back on the podcast, as always. Uh, yeah, Chris, you've just mentioned there, players returning, back to training. Um, the Sven Botman transfer has been confirmed as well since last week. And, you know, we did have references to Batman in there. I hope it didn't upset you too much. But um, it's, it's good did you news. Hijack the clubs? Did you hijack the club's uh, social media account or something? I can neither confirm nor deny uh, that particular rumour. Um, 
but yeah, let's let's say there was a there was a call to the bat phone made, and uh, <laughs> and I picked up and responded. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, players coming back. Uh, training starts. Preseason is is in full swing. Uh, Botman is in, and Newcastle are looking at other targets now as well. And it's uh, we're going to have plenty of transfer chat in a little while, but it's all systems go, Chris. It is, yeah. The players returned, non nationals anyway, returned on Friday. They had sort of pre-season testing that you would have to see sort of, they have markers as they call them throughout the course of the year, certain things to do with how high you can jump in a certain way, and they do a, a sort of beep test as well, back and forth. Um, and... So all of that, they returned on Friday for that and then had a couple of training sessions as well and they've trained over the weekend. And it's been great to see the club again showing some of that to supporters. There's been a couple of YouTube and NUFC TV videos of both what happened on that first day of training and also behind the scenes with, with Sven Botman arriving at Newcastle, showing yeah, a little great. bit about, which we chatted a little bit about the medical last week, showed him and, and, and Paul, Dr. Paul Catterson, the club doctor, discussing what uh, was going to happen in terms of MRI scans, uh, he was going to check his heart, all of those sorts of things. He had a tour of the training ground, then went to the stadium. Do they do, they do the cup and cough, please, Sven? Do they do that one? With the... <laughs> <laughs> or is that just my doctor who does that? I think it's just your doctor. I, th- I, <laughs> yeah. think, I think they have a bit more sort of uh, high-tech sort of way of, of measuring things at, at, at a Premier League football level. Oh, well, um, fair enough. I mean, they're missing out, but there you go. But yeah, I mean, the Botman deal, I know there was last week there was some fans who during the course of the week were getting a little bit concerned because he'd arrived on the on the Monday, the deal had been agreed the previous Friday, and Newcastle said that it was going to be completed later that week. It was completed on July the 1st, which seems to have been more led from the, the Lille end. They wanted the deal done, confirmed by the end of June, but they actually wanted to go through on July the 1st, seemingly... Uh, according to people in France to do with sort of financial reasons and the French sort of financial year ticking from one to another but the deal had been completely done it was all sorted and I understand well, you, Chris, you know, you know Newcastle fans on Twitter you know how level headed and sensible we all are <laughs> you know it was when you read that sentence which said a deal has been done in principle and underneath the replies to the tweet was just loads of people screaming what does that mean <laughs> I don't know what it means has he signed or not that's all people wanted to know but yeah we got there in the end. He is in Newcastle, and he was very impressive in his, his first interview. He hasn't yeah. yet been put up um, in terms of an unveil, and neither's Nick Pope. But it, but but Botman said that it was probably the best day of his life. Is wow. what he said in terms of signing for Newcastle. So that's I mean, I mean he got dragged in from his holiday in Mallorca to come <laughs> to come to Drizzly Newcastle and sign a bit of paper and got sent back. Best day of my life. Amazing. Yeah, are you sure? <laughs> well, he he seems excited by the prospect. Eddie Howe's excited for him to be here. It feels like a big signing that gives Newcastle momentum at a time um, when the players are returning. A feel good factor that sort of upping the intensity and really upping the competition yeah, yeah. within the squad. So yes, I think they're in a in a good place, ticking into the start of July, which as of two or three weeks ago, uh, I think there was a slight nerves behind the scenes as to, as to where they were, but they've had a very productive fortnight. There's been talk about which position he's going to take as well, hasn't it? I mean, he's a big, he's a big long lad, isn't he? He's a big tall boy. And him and Dan Byrne, that would have to be the, the tallest centre-back partnership in the Premier League, I'd imagine. But there's been talk about him, maybe he's not playing that role. He's left-footed, he plays as a left-sided centre-back. Did Eddie Howe speak about this at all? Has there been any, has there been any chat about where... Sven Botman fits in. Howe hasn't actually spoken about it yet. We haven't seen him since he's since he's returned to, to preseason either. But from in terms of what I'm told and from having spoken to people, the suggestion was in January it was very much they wanted a left sided centre back. Botman was the first choice. They obviously tried for Carlos and eventually they got Dan Byrne. Whereas this summer, 
Botman again was the top choice, but if they hadn't managed to get Botman, they were a bit more receptive to looking at sort of right-sided, right-sided centre backs as well. And and the, the thinking with Botman is that he can play very much first of all as an out-and-out left-sided centre back. That's where he's played a lot of his football. And that's where I'd expect him to play early on. But he's he's although he's better with his left foot because he's actually left foot, he is good with his right foot as well. And I do think longer term they see it as the possibility he could play yeah, on the right. on the right of, of of the two. And so therefore, uh, it looks like. At least after an initial betting in period where Botman may not start every week, it'll probably be Botman plus A and other, whether that is Fabian share to the right of him or whether that's Dan Byrne to the left of him. And then Jamal Lascelles probably as backup, although I'm sure Lascelles will, will try and make sure that he can push himself back up the yeah. order. I suppose the issue he's going to have is that he's not naturally as, as gifted with his with his feet as, as the others are. But looking like a very strong department now, centre-back. Fair play. Well, lots of excitement and lots of things to talk about. There'll be more transfer chat in a little while. But of course, at the moment, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all of our great writing and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts as well. And don't worry if you do enjoy the adverts, which I know some of you do, you can still hear those on the places where you normally get your podcasts, so don't worry about that. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. So, regular listeners uh, will be familiar with Tifo, the Athletics Brainiac kid brother, uh, and it's a delight to extend our traditional pod on the time welcome to one of their hotshot team. Uh, it's Seb Stafford-Bluer. Seb, hello. Hi, Taylor. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks very much for coming on, man. Where in the world are you? I am in North Germany in the world. Wow. I'm, I live in Hamburg with my wife, so I'm, uh, I'm over here in Europe. Lovely stuff. Hamburg, an incredibly historic football place, steeped in football history, and uh, none more so than uh, our own very own Kevin Keegan, who is still a cult figure over there, isn't he? He sure is, and there's a couple of ways of reading that. Like, first, obviously, is uh, Keegan, um, you know, back-to-back European Player of the Year, but also um, hasn't gone super well for highest Vow ever since he left. Um, so the last <laughs> time enough. they... Uh, yeah, they, they haven't really, they haven't actually won anything, a major trophy since I was born, um, which is kind of damning. And they're kind of, they're one of those clubs who, who find a way of tripping themselves up and who, um, when they get embroiled in scandals, they tend to be ridiculous scandals. Um, <laughs> so if anyone listening wants to, to look up Backpack Gate, that's a really good example of uh, of the kind of state of things. On their way back, hopefully. But um, all sounds still. very familiar, this, Chris, doesn't it? So it's almost like I've now found my second team in Germany. <laughs> it is. It's very Newcastle United. The only, the only difference is, I suppose, Kevin Keegan actually did win something when he, when he was at Hamburg. Didn't quite, and Newcastle transformed history of the club, but didn't quite deliver it in the, exactly the same way as there. But yeah, affection shared for Kevin Keegan and also, uh, unfortunately, a shared... Uh, ability to just cock things up quite regularly on the football pitch. Ah, <laughs> uh, the lovable Kevin Keegan. Uh, Tivo's annual agony on column for the Premier League club Sensible Transfers. Uh, it's well underway and the Newcastle United edition will be out next Monday. That's July the 11th. Uh, Seb, what's the concept behind this? The idea is is to kind of um, indulge the fancy a little bit uh, to apply a few real world uh, conditions. Things like budget and availability and what's realistic. And um, just come up with some... I suppose recommended sounds a bit pompous and a bit up ourselves. That's not what we were going for. Just kind of, what would you do if you were given the controls? A little bit of fun and, um, you know, uh, find what the areas of weaknesses uh, weakness are in each team. And, you know, get our, our scouting caps on, data caps on, and uh, try and recommend a few players 
just um yeah also it's sometimes kind of fun to recommend players that um not that people haven't heard of but who are a little bit off the beaten track or who are outside of you know the top five leagues um and uh yeah it's been a lot of fun obviously a bit more fun for newcastle this year because we've had a bit more uh parameters have been a little bit wider than usual yeah. um so yeah it's um try try and um yeah we, we, we try and get through and try and uh i suppose um you know when you recommend players it's very easy to go down the the kind of the uh, the rabbit hole just chucking data at people and, and slapping them around the face with statistics we try and kind of make it a little bit anecdotal too so that people can get a sense of what what players like to look at as well um if they haven't haven't come across them before so can you give us any of those uh, any of those names any uh, anyone in particular or are you holding them back? Absolutely not, Taylor. No, this is made perfectly clear before I came on. This is this is like my, you know, like when 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 rock stars come and uh, they demand like you know a kilo of cocaine before they do. Your rider, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Mine, mine is that I, I'm I'm unwilling to reveal any sensible transfects. Very rock and roll, but yeah, it's wonderful. I love it. I can I, I can tell you kind of some of the some of the sort of the. Some of the thought process would, would that be a, a decent substitute for? It's a compromise. So, what we tried to do this time is like Newcastle have a like a, a couple of needs, you know, and and, and they're fairly obvious. We tried to balance kind of what would work from a footballing perspective with what would work from a kind of reputational reputation building idea, so that you know you can develop the first team, you can become more competitive, but at the same time you're also you're trying to create a signpost to other players in the future so right he plays there well maybe i'll go there too and so that's been kind of a fun thing to kind of to add into the mix this year but um yeah so we, we hope you kind of hope it's an, a nice mix of the two when it comes out i mean seven newcastle steve nixon the head of recruitment i suppose fenbottom would be a prime example of this previously had players he really liked and looked at and, and but really never thought would would be able to sign in the previous regime yeah now they've they've sort of been brought up to the fore the likes of bruno as well is that, is that been the case as well over the last sort of couple of editions for, for TIFO that you'd have had people previously you would have just discounted immediately and said Newcastle have got no chance either budget-wise or in terms of offering a project, whereas now maybe they can, can entice some of those European-based players? Yeah, uh, definitely, Chris, definitely. I mean, um, I'm sure I'm not speaking out of turn here, but um, you know, I've written a fair share of anti-Mike Ashley articles in the past, so I think it's fair to say that like previously Newcastle were a club where if you were a player... You probably went there so that you could go somewhere else in a couple of years' time. I, I don't. I, I, I'm trying to be respectful. It's just I think that's the way it was thought of as a club because it's you're completely not, right. It's correct. Yeah, you're not competing for anything. You're not like you're not really going anywhere. The the objective was to stay in the Premier League, sure. But then, like um, you know, for players, if you particularly like players from abroad, it was the kind of the landing spot in the Premier League for some of them. Whereas now, like the kind of the um, what's being sold is entirely different. It's a this is where the club may go from here this is what it may do and um you know also if you if you if you arrive there say you're a center forward and you want to go to newcastle well now you can be guaranteed of like pretty decent supply you'd imagine like over the next couple of years if you add in kind of um creativity from wide positions or like fullbacks you can cross set piece experts all, the, all these kind of things like all these little details that matter to professional footballers that like guys like us don't necessarily consider like caliber of teammate is a massive sell but also, like, um, it might be a little bit early in the cycle to kind of um, to sort of aim at you know, major trophies, maybe in a couple of years. But then you're selling a journey. Whereas before at Newcastle, always felt like, what, what are you going there to do? Just to sit there for a couple of years, get paid, probably not get paid as much as you could get paid elsewhere. Um, and, you know, like, there were still attractions to it. Like, Newcastle's an amazing city. Um, one of my favourite cities in, in England. But, like, for a professional footballer, 
and the kind of the sort of the the insulated worlds they live in. I don't know if the proposition was that strong, but now, yeah, night and day, obviously. But Seb, you wrote the uh, the the script for a, a one-off Newcastle video on the subject of stepping stone players, which is available on the T4 YouTube channel. Before we discuss that, let's have a little listen to a clip. What is a stepping stone player? Well, to answer that, it's worth considering what happens to a club immediately after it receives new investment. Its capacity to acquire new players and pay their wages dramatically increases, but its attractiveness to the highest calibre of player does not. At least not in a way that's commensurate. And there are a couple of reasons for that lag. Most obviously, the appearance of wealth in football is rarely trusted immediately. The market, players and agents need time to be convinced of its authenticity, as they are the claimed ambition of any new owners. It takes time to establish that kind of trust. In addition, the newly acquired club may not be playing in the Champions League or even European football at all. Most desirable players are already in positive positions, and so promising opportunities on a delay, such as Champions League qualification within three years, is a more difficult sell. And day-to-day -day factors are important too. While a club might become wealthy overnight, its facilities may not be of good enough standard to attract players used to first-in-class luxury. Those kinds of issues can take years to rectify. Most often, however, the quality of the squad may be the biggest issue, and the lack of the quality to attract desirable reinforcements. Very few players are indifferent to the standard of their teammates, regardless of the salary on offer. A world-class centre-forward is unlikely to want to play for a team that doesn't create chances, for instance, and might be particularly reluctant to starve himself of a supply during a World Cup year. Still, personnel is the easiest weakness to address, but it does require a strategy, and that's where stepping stone players have their place. I watched this video the other day, and it's it's a really interesting watch, and we're talking about the likes of Dan Byrne uh, and, and Kieran Trippier as well, to some extent, although Kieran Trippier's a, a kind of, to us, that, that's a bit of a marquee signing, you know, that that's someone who we didn't think we were capable of getting, but now we are. Yeah. And these are players that need to come in, and you use the example of Man City when they got taken over. It's a very different landscape now, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's obviously like Man City, we went back to 2008 for that video and looked at kind of, not just what they did in that first transfer window in the last kind of 24 hours when the Romino thing happened, but also like what they did for the next couple of windows, which is like you kind of, and this was obviously, like you say, Taylor, like it was um, a pre-FFP world. So you didn't have to think about things like wastage and, and profit and loss as much as you do now. But like you buy players um, with an aim of getting better so that in six months time, a year's time, what you're selling is superior. Like you're able to kind of, maybe in the Man City context, you're able to attract someone like Roberto Mancini, you're able to sell your project to Yaya Torre, David Silva, like guys like that. And so you have people like, I suppose, uh, Craig Bellamy in there and Wayne Bridge and Shea Given, like really good Premier League players, but like players who are gonna be in there for, probably gonna be first team regulars for about a year, um, sometimes even less. I think I added it up in that video. Forgive me, I can't remember exactly how much it was, but I think between them, Bridge, Bellamy and Gibbon made about 85 appearances for Man City in total. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't loads. It's that way of, of, of couple, doing a couple of things. Firstly, like becoming better, obviously. But also, um, I, think, I don't think it's a secret that like City tried to weaken opponents on their way up. Like I think Gary Cook, their former CEO, talked about like the effect they had on Aston Villa. They've been pretty open about that. And... You're quite right. Like the world is a bit different now financially um, for football clubs. It, there is a little bit more. Um, there are a few more constraints, but you can see a little bit of that with Newcastle, like the Chris Wood signing. Good player, Chris Wood. 
no doubt, and um, player that Newcastle needed, but also super handy that it <laughs> yeah it kind of it took Burnley's you know a, a, a sort of not free scoring centre forward. Let's be fair, but um, very important part of their jigsaw away in the middle of a season in which they ended up getting relegated. It's it's just part of the equation, and um, it's it's interesting to see how like how a club manages that, but also how it manages that after the player has become not obsolete, but when he's already trying to be replaced by the club after six months, 12 months. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, this is this is something that we're, we're struggling with at the minute because we have an awful lot of players on good money on contracts who, you know, they might have a couple of seasons left, but what's happened at the back end of the Ashley era is rather than dealing with those players and, and actively looking to move them on, they've extended their deals and just kicked it down the lane a bit further and let somebody else deal with the issue. And now we've got people like Dwight Gale and, and you know, John Joe Shelby's coming in the last year of his contract as well. And we have an awful lot of players on an awful lot of money who we, you know, we, we don't seem to be able to move on and it's difficult. Well, there's another dynamic in there as well. Like, you're absolutely right. It's really difficult because, like, if you're a player if you're like one of those guys who you've just mentioned you want to be part of it you assign for, for a different era and for a different purpose and you've kind of been inherited by like a new regime and and new management um and then say you're like a say you're like a john joe shelby and you see some of these players coming in around you some of them might be on better money some of them might be on longer deals um some of them might be taking your game time and you think hang on i've slogged to keep this club in the premier league and like I dare say, with the greatest respect to some of the managers in the past, like great respect to Steve Bruce, like playing for Steve Bruce didn't look like fun. I mean, like, particularly <laughs> for someone inspire, like Shelby. <laughs> no, but if you, if you if you're a guy like who who lives off his like with an expansive passing range, like quite an expressive player, do you want to play for Steve Bruce? That's not me denigrating what he is as a coach. It's just that's how he coaches and that's how he sets the team up. And um, the argument about whether that was right or wrong is. It's one that you can have on a different podcast, not involving me. That's fine. I don't want any part of that, right? We've had but, that argument many times. Don't worry about it. But then you, you think, you know, so where's my part of this? What, do I just get flogged off or does my contract get allowed to, to expire? Because I'm one of the reasons that the club is able to, you know, recruit a, a, a Bruno Gamadesh, you know, uh, okay, I'm, you know, it's a, a little bit of an abstract um uh, logic there but you, you see what I'm getting at it's a, it's a really tough thing to manage I think must be Seb you mentioned uh, Bruno Gimmersh obviously we were both at St Mary's on the yes. night that he they made his full Newcastle United debut I mean first of all what did you make of him that night and the, obviously the, the ridiculous goal he scored but also since what have you made of, of him at Newcastle yeah he's a marvellous player like Chris yeah I remember that night we, we sat next to each other at St Mary's and um, I was so excited to see him and there was a moment I, I can't remember the Southampton player it was but someone absolutely rattled him in the first half. Someone yeah. someone had clearly been told, go through him, see if he can take it. And someone did and skittled him. And he got up and he just loved it. Immediately just loved it. <laughs> he was like a boy at Christmas. Um, and uh, he scored that fabulous goal that night. To be honest, he, he, he'd he come up in a sensible transfer series before he went to Newcastle. Um, we're not trying to sound smug, but he was just a world-class player. Like, And he was sitting there waiting to be taken from Lyon by sides like Arsenal, sides like Spurs, and they just, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why, but they, they were kind of hesitating around him. It'd be very difficult to argue that he wouldn't make either of those two teams better um, still now, despite what they may have done in the transfer window. Um, super impressed. Also, as a Spurs fan, um, hugely, hugely enjoyed his goal against Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was an excellent moment. Well done. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's a terrific player. And uh, he's one of those guys like, so we, we talked about the stepping, to, stepping stone thing 
Like every now and again, you drop a guy in who is not a stepping stone player. He's just there for the long haul. He's like a guy that um, I think I wrote on Twitter that signing Bruno Gomerich would have kept up Newcastle on its own. Like he didn't need to do anything else. Like sign someone like that because they're that good. Um, and I think that's kind of kind of been shown. He's better than I thought he was going to be. Um, I'm not trying to trying to pretend that I knew that what was coming, but he's um, yeah, he's super. Um, a, lot of, a lot of teams are very envious of that. I'm sure. Yeah, he's he, he's really really taken to Newcastle, and Newcastle fans have really taken to him as well. He's he's one of those players that I, I sit and watch watch the games with my little boy, and my little boy is just enthralled by him. He just can't take his eyes off him. He's 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 already a superstar as far as the kids are concerned, you know, and it's it's incredible. That's that's what you want, isn't it? You want someone who's got that sort of star quality and he he can also be a, a someone who can attract other players into the club. I suppose also like for your son, like I mean how many I, I how many how many players like that has he seen in his lifetime in the flesh? Because that's the thing because like, <laughs> he's seen good he has seen good players at Newcastle, you know, sure. but we've we we've never had We've never had somebody like that. I mean, we've had people like Johan Kabay and Hatton Ben Arthur and, and players like that. Well, you know, very talented guys. Uh, they don't inspire. They don't, you know, they don't give give the kids somebody to look up to like that. That's And that is a big thing for me. I think so. Like, it's also like, it's different if you're able to go and watch these players live because like, you know, we've all seen them on television. But I remember when I was a boy, like the first game I saw, first Tottenham game I went to, Jürgen Klinsmann played. That's like... Oh, I grew up loving Teddy Sheringham and loving watching him play and like guys like that. It's just different. Like it, it's a it's a level above, isn't it? Yeah, and it, exactly. I, you know, sort of with the greatest respect to guys like Johan Kabai in the past, I don't think. Well, maybe they did, but I don't think many many kids sort of pretend to be Johan Kabai in, in the playground. Um, at least not as many who would now be Bruno Gomerich. Like Johan Kabai is a super player. Don't get me wrong; he was, he was a wonderful footballer, but. Um, it's a just a, it's it's a star quality thing, isn't it? It's yeah, like it's absolutely. a difference between a very good footballer and a star of the game who you can imagine becoming like a really world class player over three or four years. It's just um it's a different different kind of weight category, I suppose. Weight class of footballer. Lovely stuff. Well, hopefully uh, Seb's going to stick around and, and have a bit more of a chat with us about some more transfer targets. Uh, and we'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So that's our recent business. Uh, of course, everyone wants to know about future transfers and Chris has done a mailbag this week. Uh, so head there for some more detailed answers. But in the meantime, Chris, Hugo Etikite, the palindromic footballer, uh, that appears to be well and truly on the back burner now, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, we, we spoke about it a little bit last week, but Hugo Etikite was someone Newcastle tried to sign in January. Uh, they had a deal basically agreed with, with the club roms and then on deadline day, it collapsed, didn't happen. They maintained contact. 
there was hope for months on end that they were going to sign him and basically they've become very frustrated primarily dealing with the agent and whether or not Ekatike wants to to come is 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 a point which has been debated I think behind the scenes I think someone Newcastle feel he is or at least have been given indications strongly that he wants to whereas the agent has, has been difficult to deal with and other people are suggesting. I mean, Oscar Garcia, who's the Roms manager, came out the other day and said that he might leave for someone like Real Madrid or Barcelona, but he's, he's not going to leave for anyone else. So as things stand, Newcastle have become frustrated by it. They've stepped back from that deal. And as I said last week, I wouldn't completely rule out something happening later in the window if, if Newcastle don't sign someone he doesn't go somewhere else. But there's certainly a lot of frustration around it and Newcastle are actively pursuing other targets or at least considering what they're going to do next they have other targets they've thought about one of whom is uh, Armando Breuer at Chelsea who spent last season on loan at Southampton they've basically asked as they did a few uh, I think it was a few months ago Chelsea to, to let them know what the plan is for Breuer and that they are interested in potentially taking him he's just one option though they have others they still want a right-sided forward mm. they want a centre yeah. forward and they're basically having a little bit of a pause to think how can we maximise the remaining part of the budget we have left to make sure we add enough goals to the team because that has and remains a beating the that's been the priority and it remains a priority. They've signed three defensive players so far this summer, all players have wanted all strength in the squad, mm-hmm. but Newcastle need goals and that's very much what they're looking for now. Seb, one of the names that's been mentioned in, in link with Newcastle quite a lot has been Moussa Diaby and a player you'll know an awful lot about, obviously mm. playing over there at Leverkusen. Uh, what is what is the, the sort of quality that he would bring if he was to come to Newcastle? And is there any chance of that sort of transfer happening? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a chance of it happening. It would cost an absolute fortune to get him out of Leverkusen. I think the highlight for me uh, from watching this season is his kind of relationship on the pitch with Patrick Schick. Um, I think they work together very, very well. Diaby is someone who, like, a lot of people, people kind of fall into the trap of kind of bracketing him as, like, that typical wide forward, like that that inside forward. Um, and he is dynamic, but he's not really someone that beats players as much as, you know, it's assumed at least. He's um, he's creative and thoughtful with the ball. His timing is really good. Like, his attacking production is excellent. Like, he no doubt be a very, very good player. I um, I kind of personally prefer him playing off the left. Uh, I have done at Leverkusen at least, and I wonder whether um, I wonder whether that's quite the right player. Like I, I obviously um, think Sam Maxman is better off the left than he is the right. I don't think I've seen him play much off the right. He looks well. So I, I, you, you want to put a player like that in a position where he can drive towards the box, really, don't you? Off the touchline rather than towards it. Um, so uh, great player. Not sure he's quite the right one, and for the fee as well, Leverkusen. I think I'm right in saying that right at the beginning of the summer, right at the end of the German season even, um, Leverkusen were pretty definitive about um, neither Schick nor Diaby leaving. So um, because of the nature of German clubs, if you go back on something like that, <clears throat> it's not a great look with the fans um, because of the, the, the kind of the levels of accountability. It's not like you just, you know, um, you, you have to face the fans in German football. That's the nature of it. That's the way it's been yeah. built. You can't just, you know, be a silent man. You can't be... Um, can't think of any examples of that in Newcastle's history, of course, but um, you can't do <laughs> not, that. Not one. No, nah, not I can't, one. Nah, can't have to go a long way back for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, a super player. Don't know if he's the right one. Chris, Diaby, is, is there anything that you can tell us about, about that? And uh, I know you've said the club like him, uh, but it's uh, it would take an awfully massive bid to, to prize him away from Leverkusen, wouldn't it? They really like Diaby. And in terms of going into the summer, he was the top if not well certainly one of the top targets for that for, for a sort of wide forward position 
that they're that they're looking for. They like the fact that that he creates goals and he scores goals, which Newcastle don't have enough of. Miguel Almiron finished the season as the right sided forward, and and for all his pressing ability and ability to carry the ball and and pace that Newcastle value, he doesn't he doesn't provide enough of an end product. Ryan Fraser added some, and again that work rate's there, but still not quite the capacity Newcastle want, or at least they want more competition for places there. At the minute, certainly early on, they've been spooked off by the demands for Diaby. I think they were quoted sort of sixty million euros, um, or that they were basically told to take that sort of ballpark figure. I don't know exactly how what valuation they put on them and what they think is realistic and it may depend on what they do with a centre forward if they can sign a younger centre forward on loan it might give them more room to be able to go back and entice someone like Diaby but as, as things stand they are considering alternatives in that position as well Jack Harrison uh, Leeds is someone they like and I think they were going to move for him probably if Leeds had gone down he had a release clause as Rafinha did Rafinha they really liked as well but were always realistic enough to think that he probably wanted to go to someone like Barcelona or Chelsea where it looks like he's going to end up probably at, at the former potentially so Newcastle have a lot of options Musa Diaby is very much above the one, uh, uh, near the top of the ones that they like but as things stand I think it's it's, it's looking in, unlikely that, that he will come unless Newcastle really can test uh, Leverkusen's uh, want to keep him. I also think that they've had at least a, a few indications that maybe Diaby wouldn't be overly keen on the idea of going to Newcastle at this stage. He wants Champions League football, which obviously they can't offer. So as things stand, maybe he's one to watch. But right now, it's it's nothing. There's nothing imminent or anything around that one. This is going to be another issue, isn't it, Seb? About attracting these players. There's going to be players who don't want to come to Newcastle at this point in time, regardless of of the project or however how much money is floating around, because they simply don't have access to European football at the minute. Yeah, it's difficult for for players. Um, it's also let's remember it's a World Cup year. Um, so you don't quite know what Newcastle's going to be. Like you can base it on what they were towards the end of last season and feel pretty good about it, sure. But if you're someone like Musa Diaby, like he Leverkusen qualified for the Champions League, Leverkusen finished the season by playing quite well, and like they've kept a lot of their good players in place. Um, Florian Wirtz, who um, I think is one of the most talented players in German football, had a very serious injury last season, but he's coming back. You got Schick, who's still there. Diaby, that's an amazing triangle to be part of. And also, this is a guy who um, originally grew up at Paris Saint-Germain. So you'd imagine that in the future, he'd have his eye on doing that. But then it's difficult. Also, um, for clubs outside London in, in the UK, it's always been like this, isn't it, for a certain type of player? Like, London's kind of an easy sell because a lot of players have friends there at other clubs. They they know the city. They might have gone to visit there, all that kind of stuff. Newcastle, um, it's a brilliant place, but like it's less visited by those kind of players. Um, so it's it's harder, and you, you probably have to go a little bit further to to convince players that it's a what's the right word um, a safe destination for two or three years. No doubt, within that time scale, like the results will start to be, speak for themselves. Sell the expenditure, I'm, I'm sure. But until then, it's it's a little bit tricky. Hence the need for stepping stone players. Absolutely. And there's a video about that available on uh, TV yeah. right now, yeah. isn't there? Some, uh, sounds uh, sounds uh, rubbish, Taylor. I mean. No, 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 no. Definitely not. Uh, Chris, the management have left the door open, though, haven't they, for a for a coup or, you know, the, the, a term I hate, which is marquee signing. Uh, but if the right player comes available, there is money there. And, you know, this links to a question from Andre M., uh, 
which was how much more money can Newcastle spend in this window without uh, breaching FFP rules? I'm presuming you don't know exact figures, but it's one of those, something that's in the back of everyone's minds at the minute. It is, yeah, and I mean, it's something I touch upon in the, in the mailbag on, on The Athletic and we've spoken about sort of all summer. I mean... Th- People respond with, no club ever tells you their budget. They're not going to reveal exactly what the fee is. And, and they're right, but there are also indications that you get from people in and around the club and from, from very well-placed sources as to roughly how much Newcastle think that they have to spend. Now, it seems that their kitty was somewhere between 70 and, and 90 million. They've spent around half of that so far in terms of money that they have to pay sort of up front and which they have to commit to now. And so really that gives them maybe sort of 40 or 50 million looking towards signing these the, the the two priority positions now as i mentioned before they want a striker likelihood being a younger striker who can provide both competition uh, and as an understudy for Callum Wilson but maybe is versatile enough to play anywhere across the front three as well as a wide forward who can contribute more goals and more assists someone like Diaby or, or Harrison someone of, of the like and so they need, they need to now work out how do they maximise that budget and what the, with Ekatiki, one of the things that suggested and one of the ways that they're, they're paying a little bit more for Botman was that in instalments they would pay more over time. And with Ekatiki, they even wanted a loan with a sort of obligation to buy to begin with, possibly even two years down the line before they pay anything because then they, in, the, in terms of financial years, in terms of FFP, it's very complicated, but it basically means you can backload the transfer and it means you can kick that can essentially down the road. So Newcastle still do have flexibility in this. It's just how they maximise that and which clubs are willing to deal with them in that regard and which positions that they can work on in that. They are open to, to loan deals, but they may come about later in the window and then that may free them up to spend more on one of those forward positions. But very much the focus now is on attacking positions. They haven't ruled out signing a midfielder as well, but if they, if they end the window without at least signing one but ideally two attacking players then I think that there will be a negative in terms of what Newcastle have achieved in, in this summer because that was the priority the business they've done so far is excellent and they've set a really good base but they desperately need more goals yeah so goals are the the, the key thing for Newcastle at the minute and, and they need to add uh, to what Callum Wilson can bring and obviously with his world famous mozzarella hamstrings it's not always going to work is it? Uh, it we we always run the risk of losing Callum for a, for a certain amount of time during the season and you need someone to come in who can who can put away 10 12 goals and and, and provide that kind of uh, that support yeah Wilson's a super player though isn't he i mean it's 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 a real shame how many injuries like he's had i mean going back to that first season he had with bournemouth yeah, I remember him scoring a hat trick at West Ham and then getting injured for six months after that, really, really quickly, really soon after. I think you know there are a couple of ways of looking at it. Like you can bring in another forward like, and add him to the pile with with Wood and Wilson, or you can add like production somewhere else. Like Chris mentioned, like right forward, right right midfield, that kind of area. Because I think that's that's a, a position which just hasn't produced enough. Like um, I think Ryan Fraser is a good player. I think Amaron's a quite a good player. I don't think they're good enough for what the club wants to be. Um, or at least they, they don't produce enough. There's not enough tangible output there. So that's one um, That's one avenue. The Ekatike thing, I get it. I just, this guy went from being um, a talented young player to he's going to win five Ballon d'Ors within about six months. And that's always like, I understand, like we're part of it, man. Like the media do this all the time. We're completely to blame. I accept that. But um it would make me nervous because all of a sudden, you know, um, 
the expectation, the fee goes through the roof, and the, just the sample size for what he is just isn't big enough. He hasn't played enough games, has he? I I, I don't think so. And hey, listen, like you know, maybe um, someone who really knows what they're talking about, like a proper scout, um, can correct me on why I'm wrong about that. But it just it always makes me nervous. Like you see a guy, and you know, you, his YouTube highlights are cut up really nicely, um, but you know, it's not the same. And 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 given the kind of sums of money and the kind of players that would be available um, for that kind of money elsewhere, players with a little bit more proven ability and a, a bit more, you know, um, would give you a little bit more assurance in moving from the home country to um, a, a new country at such a young age. That's another factor. Um, so, yeah, but I, I don't think necessarily it's, it's, a, it's a need for a centre forward because it, it's difficult, isn't it, if you balance that dynamic? Because what if Wilson yeah. stays fit? Like maybe yeah. this is the season where he plays 38 games and you've got, what, £25 million doing what exactly? It's hard. Like I, I don't have an answer for that. It's just, it's tricky and there's a kind of, there's different ways of solving that problem, I guess. And Callum Wilson always does that thing and he did it, he did it this year when he came back and he reminds you just how bloody good he is as a centre forward and, yeah. and the positions he takes up yeah. and, the, and, the, and the goals that he scores and stuff. And you, you think, oh God, if we could only keep him fit for the full year, we'd have some player on our hands there. He's he's a great player. I love watching him, and he and, and he absolutely terrorised Arsenal's defence in that um that that last game of the season at St James's Park. He was he was something else, Chris, wasn't he? He was, and that's I think that sort of has, has changed the the strategy a little bit for the summer because I think as of a, a few months ago that the, the thought was that when Callum Wilson wasn't fit and Newcastle really were struggling in terms of out and out goals that that they wanted a, a number nine to really compete with them. Um, but then he comes back and shows what he can do and Newcastle sort of make inquiries about Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Ivan Tony or players like that and find ridiculously high fees coming back and they think about all the other things that they need to do in this summer window and then maybe take a step back and think, well, if we can get a younger striker, someone who can grow with the club or someone on loan while we think about what we want to do a bit longer term, that may be the answer and that seems to have been the conclusion of Keanu because when Wilson's fit, he scores goals but he also brings so much more. The team just looks transformed in attack when he's there. Absolutely. Right then, I think it's time to move on, chaps. Seb, thank you so much for, for stopping by and joining us and, and thank you for all the uh, all the info and the fantastic TIFO videos as well. Keep them coming. Uh, sensible transfers on Monday, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, we've got, um, it's running all the way through July, but Newcastle will come out on Monday morning, I think. Fantastic. Um, no, well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great fun. No problem at all. Yeah, thanks, Seb. And I hope I hope you come to a Newcastle game again this season because when you turn up, wonderful goals are scored in the win game. So I'm hoping, hoping that happens again this year. What your lucky charm that you Every can like, get him a season ticket, Chris. Get uh, him a season know. ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Seb. Thanks a lot. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Right then, Chris, let's wrap things up then before we finish. Uh, it was lovely speaking to Seb, wasn't it? Some really interesting stuff there. And uh, those those T4 videos are brilliant as well. Yeah, they do look really, really good. If you haven't uh, ever watched any of them, I would very much recommend it. And certainly when the Newcastle Sensible Transfers come out next weekend, he won't even tell me what who's on there, I thought he was going to give us a bit of, of it. You know. I know. 
just give us something. Just tickle me balls a little bit. Just give us something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Not literally, obviously. Um, yeah, we've got a few little bits and pieces to, to round up before we go. You did a mailbag, uh, Chris, didn't you, recently? And we, we're going to use some of the questions from that that we didn't get around answering in the mailbag. Uh, so Luke R. has said, any chance of an article or a chat on the pod about Newcastle's dressing room spirit? It seems to have survived under new managers uh, and would love to know more about where it comes from, who drives it on, and how they keep it going in the future. Eddie Howe's changed an awful lot, hasn't he, since he came in regards to regarding the dressing room and, you know, the motivational signs and stuff like that, the posters, and it's all a little bit uh, Ted Lasso, isn't it, at times, but it's it seems to be working. It does, and I mean, to be fair, that, that, that dressing room spirit that Luke mentions has been there for, for a long period of time, even during the sort of, uh, during the Benitez era and during Steve Bruce's time, the dressing room, for a large part, they had the right characters mm. there, and that was something after relegation in 2016, you had... People such as Jamal Lascelles, obviously his captain, but also yeah. Matt Ritchie, John Isaac Joe Shelby, yeah. Isaac Hayden, re- rebuilding this uh, the 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 dressing room essentially and making sure that all the right characters there, not people who are just going to take, just going to come to Newcastle as that quote unquote stepping stone club. What we were chatting up with Seb about earlier, the likes of when Newcastle went through that period of where they were signing players from France who were signing, meaning basically thinking we're going to be here eighteen months, two years, and then move on, and that policy went too far. Instead, that wasn't the way that it was and so Newcastle have always had that strong core those players who kept them in the Premier League and basically helped and bridged the gap until the takeover happened and then Eddie Howe has come in and has has changed maybe the motivation in terms of what they're going for and what they can look higher up the league to achieve but also something big in January and which has been big this summer as well as targeting the right characters Newcastle have 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 turned down players they've been offered or have decided not to pursue players because of character references they've heard who they don't think are going to fit into exactly what they want. And so it becomes harder to maintain in quote, in quote unquote, the more successful you become, the higher up you go in the league, the uh, bigger egos you're going to bring in. There, there is going to be a balance to be struck there, but equally Eddie Howe and Newcastle want to, to maintain that, the togetherness, that sort of defensive team spirit that you saw, which really served them so well to the first half of 2022. That is the priority. And in Nick Pope, Matt Target obviously they already knew about, but in Nick Pope and Sven Botman, they believe they have signed two players who very much fit into that model. It looked like the buy-in from the players who came in in January was was key, wasn't it? They all came in and they believed and they all fought for the cause. And Kieran Trippier, I think, is probably the main one that I would talk about where, where you say he embodies that team spirit turning up at Southampton away with his moon boot on on his crutches and stuff and you just don't often see that kind of thing from from players but he he sets a fantastic example doesn't he and we said he was almost a standard bearer for the team early doors even though he didn't actually play that many games he is and also what Newcastle have been trying to to do as well is is, is bring in people like Trippier who are additional leaders Jamal LaSalle spoke about a few months ago where he felt at at times he was the only sort of leader there but Newcastle brought in Kieran Trippier Dan Byrne is, is a real leader and he has come in and it's the same sort of figure so th- those players who yeah they will drive up standards they understand what it means to play for Newcastle and in the Premier League and they're going to continue to try and make sure that all players who come in understand that as well Absolutely um, SE has also asked uh, how are we doing on the CEO remember how uh, important their appointment was supposed to be uh, so what's happening um, Christopher P Barry O and several others also asked about the CEO where are we with CEO at the minute obviously Dan Ashford's come in uh, and has hit the ground running as far as transfers are concerned but what, what's happening with the CEO yeah so a lot of people have, have, have been asking about this I've had comments on the bottom of articles about it as well uh, Sporting Director which seems a big thing in terms of the football side and then CEO 
for the business side. And it's a bit of a curious situation at the moment because um, since pretty much February sort of time, the the message back is very has been that we're progressing with the CEO. We hope it'll happen in the not too distant future. And my understanding was they got down to a sort of short list of three and they even, I think, were close or hopefully th- thinking they were going to appoint someone. I'm not exactly sure what has happened. In the meantime, I've tried to ask the question to, to find out specifically what, what's going on there. Yeah. But the fact the club is, is operating in a, a decent sort of way, the fact that, that, that Amanda Stavely and, and Mia Dagadusi, the co-owners, have been sort of operating as, I think they describe themselves as interim uh, chief execs, that has been working all right, but really it is a position that Newcastle need to get sorted and need that long-term solution for. So I'm hoping that, that they are going to make progress in, in the course of the next few weeks and that that will be announced. But uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a strange one because even people in and around the club who thought it was going to be sorted by now, even they've sort of uh, expressed a little bit of surprise and, and, and are unsure exactly what has gone on there. You're going to have to do some digging, Chris, aren't you? You're going to have to do some detective work, get yourself a trilby hat, a big, long, dirty Mac. <laughs> Uh, Chris Wolf, private dick. Get your, <laughs> do some proper investigative journalism. <laughs> Chris Wolf, private dick. Sounds more like a classified. Yes, I was, was going to say. Title, yeah, I don't, I don't think. I don't <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Right, okay. There's a mental image that nobody needs. Um, so, uh, training ground as well. Let's talk about that. There's been all sorts going on at the training ground. There's been some people have seen bulldozers and diggers and all sorts of things going in and out of there, and they've been doing some work on improving the training ground, and let's be honest, it needs it. It looks like a leisure centre from the 1970s. Uh, so it's about time that they did a bit of work on the training ground. Where are we with that in a minute? Yeah, so Newcastle in May applied to North Tyneside Council to basically upgrade parts of the training ground. The longer-term plan is that they want to move entirely to a new state-of-the-art facility where they may house the academy the women's team the first team medical everything together but for now in the interim they want to significantly upgrade the the area they have bring in likes of hydrotherapy pools more uh, recreational areas for the players things like that wheelie bins we (laughs) move the wheelie bins move move them on um but so some of that has required they've been waiting for, for for planning permission which has now been granted in the course of the past week um so hopefully building work will start soon with that they've had to carry out a lot of environmental surveys bat surveys and things like that which you need to do on these sorts of buildings mm. and uh bird nesting which will delay a little bit again how all of the work that can be done but the the pitches have have, have, be, have been dug up and, and worked on and have been have been relayed and also some of the foundations have been laid which don't need to be um don't require planning permission so they've done a lot of that work already and part of the reason why Newcastle are going away twice in terms of Austria and then and then to Portugal is because uh, of the disruption that may be caused by the by the fact that obviously the training ground is, is basically a building site part of it and so that will that will continue for the next few weeks and months and so Newcastle are looking to to, to move away from that distraction and to get a, a couple of good bodies of work in terms of training camps in, in, in Austria and Portugal over the coming weeks. Excellent and uh, apparently you're going to be uh, jet setting it across to Austria is that right Chris you're going to take in those uh, pre-season games? No I'm just going there on a mountain bike um, <laughs> mountain bike world championship no I uh, yes I, I will be there for uh, the pre-season games against uh, Mainz and 1860 Munich which are in Austria a uh, week on Friday I mean we're speaking on Monday the 4th it's a week on Friday and then two weeks today uh, Newcastle playing those matches, so we'll be across to to cover those. So I will uh, relay what I see. Hopefully, see uh, Sven Botman and Nick Pope make their non-competitive debuts. It'd be lovely if we could uh, if we could chat to you live from Austria, and you can be sat there in your little milkmaid's outfit uh, with your 
<laughs> bell around your neck. I need to get that ordered, <laughs> actually. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Make sure you get the right size this time, though. Um, also, third kit has been confirmed. The green and white, much-discussed third kit. You've written about the, the controversial colour scheme, and it's also produced a bit of grumbling from some fans in Germany as well about pre-season friendlies. This is an interesting conversation, this one, isn't it? Because a lot of fans are kind of just saying... It doesn't matter. It's a football shirt. It's it, you know, it's not the end of the world. But there is some quite sort of rightly held concerns about this as well and what it stands for. There are, and, uh, and we've said before that we will have a longer discussion about this at some stage, and we will. We're at the end of a podcast now, so we're not just going to boil it down into sort of three or four minutes of just discussing this. But I will touch upon that that column which uh, I wrote on the back of the of the of the strip, which is bears a striking resemblance to the Saudi Arabian kit and just in terms of the, the 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 fact that this is a conversation that isn't going to go away and a lot a lot of Newcastle fans were angered by this. I mean I wrote within the article that I was pissed off writing it and everyone was going to be pissed off yeah. reading it and that turned out to be the case. So I thought I read some of the comments on the article Chris and yeah fair play. There's nearly 600 at the last time I think I looked at the comments at the bottom but but basically it, it it's something that the reality is that that, that it's 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 not going away as a topic. Newcastle and, and Saudi Arabia obviously that noon had been announced as the as the the sleeve sponsor, they are uh, Saudi Arabia. Well, they're based in, in in Saudi as well. These links are going to continue to grow, and it's not something that the the PIF are, are ashamed of. Even if maybe other people arguably are, or some people are, are uncomfortable with the links that are there, and so it, it's it's something which I know frustrates some fans, or a lot, of, maybe a lot of fans, and other fans who are conflicted. There are other fans who feel very uncomfortable about the whole thing. I am sort of in the middle, and I don't know how I feel about all of it yet. But it is a conversation which is going to continue for those reasons that, that really yeah. Newcastle United has an identity of its own accord. And when that becomes blurred, that is that is where the issue really starts to arise. And so, that, that, that yes, we've seen both Mainz and, and 1860 Munich fans have been complaining about the fact that they're playing Newcastle in pre-season. Both the managers of both clubs have had to come out and address that because of, this, mm. of the Saudi ownership. And it is very controversial in so many quarters. Even if some Newcastle fans, they'll just talk about, well, it's just about football. Why does it matter? Unfortunately, this this is not going away. No, absolutely not. And like you say, we will discuss that in, in greater length and in more detail in the future, definitely. Uh, and just a quick silly one before we finish off. Graham L, uh, in combination with Peter D, said, who would win in a fight? One Dan Byrne-sized Ryan Fraser or 100 Ryan Fraser-sized Dan Burns? <laughs> What a terrifying prospect. A hundred Ryan Fraser-sized Dan Burns. Can you imagine them coming out as mascots together? <laughs> Just Dan Byrne holding Ryan Fraser's hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the, uh, the the post on Twitter this morning from the club as well, which was 33 days to go, and it was, Very much the, it was just that, the top yeah. of Ryan Fraser's head and Dan Byrne standing next to him. It was amazing. It was really good. Good stuff. Uh, I'll let you answer this one first, Taylor, and then I'll follow back you. What do you think? Um, I think you would be overwhelmed by a hundred Ryan Fraser-sized Dan Burns, wouldn't you? You'd be absolutely overwhelmed by it. That's actually not that small, really. Well, no, not not if you if they all got each other's shoulders, and that's one like <laughs> huge. No chance, Chris. Oh, you could probably dispatch maybe 10, but 15, I- 20 of them pretty you know pretty comfortably, but I think you'd very quickly become overwhelmed. I imagine Ryan Fraser though is a bit bit niggly. I imagine if you made him sort of Dan Burn size, and that could also be a dangerous proposition there as well. Though, but I think I'd probably agree with you. Absolutely, yeah. Fair play, yeah. We answer all the important questions here on Pod on the Time, don't we? Let's be <laughs> we honest. Do. That's what we're here for. <laughs> no stern, no stone is left unturned. No stern. That sounded like I was from Washington there. No stern. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Well, Chris, I think what better place to finish than on that? On a hundred 
Ryan Fraser size Dan Burns. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's call it a day. And don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months right now. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Make sure you check out those T4 videos as well. Sensible transfers uh, coming out on Monday and also the Stepping Stones video that Seb was talking about earlier on. Fantastic uh, content there. Uh, right, that's it, Chris. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. And yeah, we'll see if George comes back from being angry and and whether he decides that pre-season's ready for him next week or not. He's going to be like a bear with a sore head, isn't he, who's just come out of hibernation when he first comes back. But I think what we should do is just treat him with kid gloves for a couple of weeks. You know, just pander to him a bit, let him have his way, uh, and, and just don't, let's just try not to anger him. Well, I'm peeing off to Austria, so I don't... So you're leaving me with him, are you? Thanks very much. Cheers, I'll leave you with him. Thanks for that. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. <laughs> Oh, well, okay. Well, one of us is going to be dead by the time you come back. (laughs) Fair play. Well, Chris, I hope you enjoy Austria. Should be good fun. Thank you. No worries. And thanks very much to all of you out there for listening. Uh, And stick with us on Pod in the Time for all the latest news. We'll see you again very, very soon. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Who's your favourite Batman, Chris? Uh, I mean, I don't, I haven't watched them sort of religiously, but probably um, probably Christian Bale. Well, I don't really watch, I don't really watch the other ones, so I don't, I haven't really seen any of them. I'm not really a superhero sort of guy. It is Michael Keaton, correct? Chris, do you buy ready salted Pringles as well? Do you? Huh? Oh, no, 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 barbecue, barbecue. The Athletic.